welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their filmic adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. All right, so we are back. We're doing our 2019 forecasts, predictions, most anticipated entries, and I'm excited. I'm really excited. It's going to be a good year. It's particularly going to be a good first quarter, I think. There's a lot of stuff coming right down the pipe. Yeah, I hit Goodreads just to get a sense of notable titles, like anything that should be jumping out at me. And they've got it broken down monthly, and there's got to be 40 to 50 entries each month. I would like to send a tip out to our listeners. If you have the day off today and you're just kind of chilling out, not doing anything, it's such a good idea to go and check out what books are coming out soon and then put them on your library hold list now. So you'll be the first person at your library to get them. That's what I'm going to do today. Brenna's in her pajamas. She's on the library's website and she is hitting those buttons. Honestly, there's no maximum hold at my library. My list is sometimes 80 books long. Oh, you were so lucky. The Toronto Library keeps you at 100 and my list is permanently somewhere between 85 and 95. So I'm constantly doing bulk batches of just trying to get a couple of titles out so that I can clear up some space (laughs) so that I can do what you're talking about. It's so good, but I sometimes get myself into trouble because, you know, if I have a glass of wine in the evening and I sit down with my phone and I'm flipping through the library app, two weeks later, the library calls and they're like, hi, we have 12 books here for you. And I'm like, oh no, I have to read them now. I don't have time for this. Okay, A, oh no. (laughs) But B, we just talked about the dangers of drug and alcohol abuse in the last episode, Brennan. (laughs) Don't drink and hold list, listeners. Or do, and then just revel when those dozens of YA books come in at the same time. It's kind of great, though, because it it scratches that urge to shop, you know, because it's like an online order arriving, except for different. It is, yes. I used to do that when I would get movies delivered to me on um, DVD. Oh, back in the day. Yeah. Zip.ca. You know it. (laughs) Sometimes I miss that. It's not quite the same as adding something to your Netflix queue. And then forgetting why you put it on the list. (laughs) It just happens to me all the time. Why am I interested in this? This looks terrible. Are we back to Cars (laughs) 2? We are. Okay, so we are going to go back and forth. We've each comprised a mini list of our most anticipated things. I'm not sure how you approach this, but I tried to keep things sort of first quarter. I wasn't even trying to do that. I just had such a massive list by the time I was through April that I was like, okay, I guess I'm focusing on the first quarter. This is fair. This is fair. We might think about doing a mid-year look forward, like around June. That sounds great because honestly, trying to get this list down to something below 10 was very problematic. (laughs) It's true. Okay, so thus far we haven't done a ton of really speculative fiction. We've kind of dipped our toe into it a little bit, but for the most part I feel like we've been shying away from some of the really out there properties. Yes. And so I thought (laughs) I'd highlight a couple. (laughs) We are going to go there, (laughs) Brent. Oh, Jesus. Okay, so one is Deadly Class, which is coming to sci-fi. It doesn't have a drop date, but I imagine because they've begun teasing it, it'll be coming out in this first quarter. This is an interesting one. I don't love this graphic novel series. You would hate it. It's hyper, hyper violent. (laughs) 
But to me, the interesting hook is that it's set in the 1980s, and it's essentially a school for uh, teenage assassins. So call back to my interview with Kevin Johns and his book, M School. This is kind of like if M School was populated solely by assassins and was set in the 80s. Okay. I think it's very on brand for Sci-Fi Network, which has a tendency to do things that are on the fringe, that are a little bit more violent, that are a little bit more mature. But I'm intrigued to see how far they take the violence in this case because it is teenagers getting killed by teachers, teenagers killing each other, being sent out on suicidal missions. So it's very dark, grim stuff, and I'm interested to see if they hold true to the flavor of the graphic novels. It'd be interesting to see. Huh. Mm -hmm. Hopefully the visual style will remain the same as well. Cool. All right, well, I'm taking you in a very different direction with my first pick, uh, which is Dig by A.S. King, due out in March. So A.S. King is probably my favorite YA writer. Like, if I had to just take a step back and objectively think, I think she is my favorite across all genres um, and styles. She writes what are on the surface realist YA novels, but uses a lot of some of the styles and tropes of magic realism to address issues of mental illness with her protagonists. So her big titles are Please Ignore Vera Dietz, Everybody Sees the Ants, Ask the Passengers, I Crawl Through It. All novels where the protagonist is having a difficulty with reality. So they're they're often novels that deal with dissociation, with anxiety, um, with sort of displacement. And what I like about A.S. King in particular is that she writes the best parents in all of YA. Oh, that's so hard too. It's so hard. And somehow while still completely embodying the voice of her teenage protagonists, the parents are whole, often deeply flawed, but whole people. With some exceptions, she does. She has written some abusive parents as well, but for the most part, the parents are people who are trying their best with a limited toolbox. And um, I find that really powerful, especially in the context of a coming-of-age narrative, because so often parents are just cartoons. They're sort of cartoons of of whatever it is that the protagonist needs to fight against. Right, yeah. So I really like her for all those reasons. The novel that's coming out in March, as I say, is called Dig. And I'm just going to give you the the back of the novel quote, which is acclaimed master of the YA novel, A.S. King's 11th book, is a surreal and searing dive into the tangled secrets of an upper middle class white family in suburban Pennsylvania and the terrible cost the family's children pay to maintain the family name. And apparently what this novel is dealing with primarily is the issue of intergenerational wealth. The grandparents have lots of money, the parents and kids have very little, and the tension and the pain that comes from those relationships is sort of the focus of the novel. When I went online to just do some final research on this title, this morning, though, I read really sad news that apparently this past weekend, uh, A.S. King lost her daughter. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and so there's like a lot of discussion about what the actual launch and release of this book is going to look like. I'm suspecting it's going to change dramatically. So uh, everything in publishing is saying March for the release of this, but I would not be surprised to find out that that gets pushed back. Right. Yeah. I mean, just the description alone sounds heavy. Yeah. And her work is heavy, but ultimately hopeful. And I think part of what makes it hopeful is that as difficult as the situations the characters are in can be, there is ultimately a sense that people try to do 
good for each other, you know, ultimately. And I think that she does a really good job of telling those stories. I had the pleasure of interviewing her actually for Book Riot many years ago now. And um, I was really impressed by her understanding of the history of YA. It's a genre that can be really ahistorical, like people who write in it tend to sometimes come across like they believe it was invented yesterday. Mm. So she talks a lot about the influence of Paul Zindel on her career. Paul Zindel wrote a ton of YA novels in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but famously you might have read The Pigman in high school, or Confessions of a Teenage Baboon, or Pardon Me, You're Stepping on My Eyeball, all of which have (laughs) goofy, silly titles, but were really about incredibly dark topics for the time period because he was writing about these dark ideas without it being like an issue novel, which were sort of the popular thing in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, right. And you can see that thread carry through into her work. So A.S. King, I recommend in general, if you haven't checked her out, Dig is coming out um, sometime in the first quarter. Sounds promising. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take us back into slightly lighter fare for my next pick. (laughs) Good, because my second one's super dark as well. Wow, way to bring the rain clouds here, bro. Happy New Year, everybody. Kids have sad lives. So much darkness. Okay, well, before we get back to the darkness. So putting this list together, I was frankly overwhelmed. And I didn't really know how to highlight a particular title because a bunch of them sounded really good. A bunch of them are sequential. So, you know, it's book two or book three or book five or something like that. And, you know, I'm not like you, Brenna, in the way that you're at least familiar with some of the big names, you know, you're out there and you know your stuff and I'm (laughs) still mostly getting used to this. So I was like, how am I supposed to do this? So I just started to do a couple of lists of things that people were looking for. And this one I stumbled on. So the reason that it caught my eye is it's being compared to Simon versus the Homo Sapiens agenda. Oh, I love Becky Albertalli so much. Yeah, so she actually gave a blurb that was talking about how the book is similar in tone and feel to hers and that she's really excited for it. So the book in question is Jennifer Dougal or Dougal's Hot Dog Girl which I think also is a very fun title. So I was like, what is? what could that possibly be about? <laughs> so I'll give you the background read. It's set in a decrepit yet beloved local amusement park. Jennifer Duggan's sparkling debut coming-of-age romance stars a princess, a pirate, a hot dog, and a carousel operator who find love and themselves in unexpected people and unforgettable places. Oh, this sounds very Adventureland. Yes, which is also very appealing to me. So I I mentioned during our holiday episode that I love things like riddles and puzzles, but I also love a good amusement park. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many weird confessional elements coming out of this podcast. (laughs) But uh, so this to me sounded whimsical and lovely, and it sounds like it's going to strike a very fun, breezy kind of tone. So this is out in late April of 2019. So that's uh, Hot Dog Girl. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Those are also things that I really enjoy, all of them. Yeah. Speaking of Becky Albertalli, I'm sure we're going to do Love, Simon, and Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda in the new year. Mm -hmm. Um, She just writes really well, but I love her protagonists. Okay, as I promised, my second title is also very dark. Take us back to the dark farm. (laughs) So I'm really excited. This is... um, I'm going to call this a book that uh, maybe straddles the line between young adult and adult lit. It's Shout by Laurie Halse Anderson. 
If that name sounds familiar to you, Lori Hall Sanderson is another one of the big names of YA, but she's particularly famous for her 1999 novel Speak. Speak tells the story of a high school freshman who is raped at the beginning of term, and the novel deals with her sort of withdrawal from society, people, school, her family, as she attempts to cope with what ultimately is what we would now call rape trauma syndrome. Has that one been adapted? It sounds very familiar. Yes, I was going to tell you, this is definitely something that should go on our list because the film, there was an independent film made of it in 2004. I think it didn't go much further than the film festival circuit, but it actually starred Kristen Stewart as the main character. Yes, that's why it sounded familiar. Yeah, so, and it's also been adapted to a graphic novel. So that might be a fun one to do in the new year to look at sort of the three medium instead Mm. of just... Uh, three media instead of just two. Anyway, so the reason why I bring up Anderson's novel Speak is because Shout is a memoir of Anderson's own experience with rape as a teenager. So it's nonfiction. Um, I'll read you the... the, uh, The blurb. blurb. Searing and soul-searching, this important memoir is a denouncement of our society's failures and a love letter to all the people with the courage to say me too and time's up, whether aloud, online, or only in their hearts. So Anderson has not typically written nonfiction. My understanding is that this is her first foray into memoir, and it's also her first discussion of the rape experience that really shaped speak, which was such a cultural phenomenon, Mm -hmm. and from this personal perspective. So yeah, I'm really excited to to check that out, although I know it's going to be a hard read. Uh, so that's Shout by Lori Hall Sanderson. It's out in March. It sounds so timely as well. Oh, super timely. And I think Anderson has talked on Twitter about how the Me Too and Time's Up movements really motivated her to speak about this issue. I mean, it's an issue that she's spoken about her entire career through her protagonists, but to actually use her own voice and tell the story of her own experience. Um, so yeah, super timely. It's I think it's going to be a big one this spring. All right. I'm not sure I can say I'm looking forward to it so much as... It sounds important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll admit I've been trying to keep us a little bit away from some of the trauma mm. subsection of YA because it just always seems so draining and difficult but i think one of the benefits of why is that it can also be very cathartic absolutely and i think speak is an interesting one because it's been so taken up like there's a huge speak fandom which is weird to think about what for what is ultimately a problem novel in the vein of the 1970s problem novels which i was as i was talking about before you know talking about a social issue through a mm-hmm. novel but doing so like blatantly and explicitly but part of that has to do with the fact that Anderson's a really gifted writer and the, the protagonist, Melinda, I think her name's Melinda, uh, really comes to life on the page. So I don't know, we'll, maybe we'll revisit it in the new year. Maybe once Shout is out, we can have that context as well. Hmm. Yeah, that could be interesting. Okay, so my third pick is a f- book that recently got optioned into a film. So it's actually entirely possible that it might not be out in 2019. It'll all depend on how it goes. You're not going to like this demo. <laughs> So this is the announcement that uh, Grady Hendrix's book, My Best Friend's Exorcism, has been optioned by the people who made one of the very best, most recent slasher films called Happy Death Day. You know what, Joe? What? This is wildly, wildly off-brand for me, Mm -hmm. but I actually loved his first book, Horror Store. 
Yes. I think it was, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that was his first now that I say it. I don't know enough about him. But his first one that hit big, Horror Store. And one thing I appreciate about Grady Hendrix is that he slash his publishers pay such careful attention to the form factor of his books. So mm-hmm. Horror Store is a horror story <laughs> set in an Ikea. <laughs> and the book itself looks like an Ikea catalog, feels like an Ikea catalog to carry around. It's quite amazing and if i remember correctly my best friend's exorcism also had a pretty amazing cover it does i was actually going to bring it up back in december as one of the news items and then i decided to hold off until this particular episode because i'm legitimately so excited about it so let me read you the background and then i'll talk about the cover so the book is set in 1988 and it follows teen best friends abby and gretchen and the relationship is put to the test after a fateful night of skinny dipping, and Gretchen begins to act very strange, and Abby increasingly believes that her best bud has been possessed by a demon. So it's very much capturing that nostalgia element, but to me it's doing it in a way that's very reminiscent of YA from the 80s, and the cover looks like a Babysitter's Club cover. Yes, that's what I remember now. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous and evocative. And the minute that I saw it, I was very, very excited by this property. It sounds like it's going to be really tongue in cheek, a little bit like Jennifer's Body, uh, the movie that has recently been recanonized by the horror community. That one's very much about two best friends who have to go through something traumatic and try to save each other through, you know, the bonds of friendship. But I love the idea of a feminist text that has a sense of humor, but is also tapping into horror in what sounds like a very approachable and accessible way. That actually sounds like something I would be okay with watching. Yeah. I I think it'll probably have some scares, but it'll be in the way that you could appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate that framing. <laughs> okay, so my third pick for 2019 is a film adaptation. Look at me being on brand for the podcast. Oh my gosh. I know. And it's a film adaptation of Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. Do you know about this book, Joe? This is one of those where I'm like, oh, the title sounds, sounds super familiar. familiar. <laughs> I can't picture it. <laughs> the reason why I ask you, it only came out last year, so it's pretty new. But the reason why I'm so interested in in whether you've seen it or not is that like, I can't picture how this is going to be a film because, number one... It's a novel in verse, so the whole it's poetry. It's a book of poetry, but that tells a narrative story. Mm. And crazier, the entire book takes place over 60 seconds, the length of Elevator Ride. Oh, yes. Okay, I'm backtracking. I have actually heard about this because it was on the list of most anticipated like book-to-film adaptations for the year because no one seems to understand how it's going to work. I can't figure out how it's going to work at all. So, yeah, so basically... The premise is that the main character's name is Will. He gets on the elevator to leave his apartment with a gun. His plan is to exact revenge on the person who killed his older brother. And he rides down eight floors. And at each floor, a new person, who is now dead, gets on the elevator and tells him the story of their life. Mm. But in the book because it's poetry poetry can play with time really easily right and so you never lose track when you're reading the book of the fact that this is only 60 seconds that it's an eight floor elevator ride so uh, yeah i'm excited to see what they do with it so anyway the production company that is producing it is john legend's production company 
Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So it's someone who's got a really good sense of like musicality, rhythm, and pacing, mm-hmm. which has huge promise for a novel in verse. Because normally, a novel in verse, when it gets adapted, is just it just becomes straight Text. narrative, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trepidatious is not the right word. I just I'm baffled by how mm-hmm. <laughs> this is going to work, and yet I have a great deal of faith in the people who are doing it. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't think there's been a release date yet, but they are saying 2019. Okay. Yeah, that that falls into the cautiously optimistic kind of category. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and Jason Reynolds is a writer of color. He's a black man, and it looks like the majority of the people behind the scenes on the movie signed on so far are also either like black or people of color. So I'm hoping that the sensitivity with which Jason Reynolds tells the story of this inner city kid who is completely... He's racked with grief at the loss of his brother. He doesn't know any other way to have that conversation than through violence. Mm. And Reynolds deals with that in an incredibly sensitive way. So I'm hopeful that the people who are signing on for this film will do likewise. Yeah, because that that could go very badly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we're now into bonus round picks. Which is just because we can't shorten our list. We can't make a list of three items. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, so maybe I'll go. I'll go with the one that for sure has a release date, since we kind of had two back-to-back speculative dates. Mm-hmm. So I've been intrigued by this next title because of the title for as long as I've been paying attention to YA, and it's Patrick Ness's The Knife of Never Letting Go. Do you know this title? I do. I have read the first book in the trilogy. I have not read the rest, although I have the ebooks and I keep meaning to. There's a situation with a dog that made it difficult for me to continue the series. No, so it's (laughs) it's getting captured on The Dog Dies. It's getting, yes, definitely. It's really well executed dystopia YA, like really well executed. Um, Excellent, excellent world building and really interesting gender politics. Mm -hmm. So for all those reasons, if you can handle dog stuff, it's a really (laughs) worthwhile trilogy to pick up. I finished the first one, I think in 2011, and one day I will read the rest of the series. That's fair. Okay, (laughs) so it is being turned into a movie called Chaos Walking. I'm not sure why, I mean, I guess I can understand why they changed the title because well, that's the book. trilogy title. Oh, is the it? Trilogy okay. t- it's the Chaos Walking trilogy. So maybe, are they adapting all three books into one film? Is that the plan? No, I'm pretty sure that this is book one being adapted mm. into film number one in the hopes that it might turn into something more. Ah, weird then. Uh, well, it might be kind of like the Hunger Games, and then you can just add mm. in, you mm. know, the semicolon or the, the additional subtitles. That's true. So the film version, they're clearly aging up the characters uh, Mm -hmm. because the main star is meant to be a 12-year-old boy, but it's being played by Tom Holland, who (laughs) is not 12 years old. He is young. I mean, he looks young, but this is the guy who most recently played Spider-Man in the Marvel films. And then the girl is being played by Daisy Ridley, who was in Star Wars. I love her. Love her as well. Very excited by this. So the blog line is Todd Hewitt. He's the only boy from a town full of men where everyone can hear everyone else's thoughts. And he flees from town with his dog, who, I guess, spoiler. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, folks. Well, people should know by now. This is a spoilery podcast. So. It's true. Maybe they'll change it in the movie. Maybe, yeah. But he flees from town with his dog when he realizes that something's very wrong with the town. And he comes across a girl who has curiously managed to survive uh, despite the fact that all women were supposedly killed. Mm-hmm. 
It sounds mysterious. It gave me a little bit Maze Runner-y kind of vibe, so I'm glad to hear that the world building is better or more efficient. It's been a little while since I've read it, but when I read it, I remember feeling that it was borrowing strongly from Puritan literature um, or literature set in the Puritan period. Like, I had a strong Hawthorne vibe in the world building. It will make you think of America circa like 16-something in the way the characters interact with each other, or at least it did for me. Okay. Well, interesting. Um, We'll be able to find out uh, March 1st when the film comes out. Cool. I moved my bonus into a bonus slot because I was appalled with myself for how very white my list was getting. So um, I'm so disappointed in you. (laughs) I definitely wanted to make sure I prioritized talking about Jason Reynolds' adaptation coming out. But John Green, the patron saint of young adult literature in the modern era. Sarcasm? (laughs) It, well, honestly, like both. Like, yeah. I think it's true, but also I'm sometimes very tired. But also I read everything he writes. So, you know, I'm torn. You've got that love-hate relationship. <laughs> I do. And he's got a new adaptation coming out. So his first novel, Looking for Alaska, which is set in a boarding school, it's been criticized by even people within the John Green fandom for its pretty strong reliance on manic pixie dream girl tropes. Right, which we'll be talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But with much oh yeah we will. Um, but with much more tragic ramifications for the manic pixie dream girl that aren't always. I will say that I think early in his career, Green didn't always think through the consequences of his narrative choices in terms of like the larger thematic message of the text. It's not a good book for women's representation. Let's just put it yeah. that way. Um, so it has been the last of his titles to be adapted. And it's coming to Hulu Limited Series in 2019. Again, I don't think there's a specific date set, but it's it's well and truly in production. So um, I think we can expect to see it in 2019. The novel tells the story of Alaska and a boy who is obsessed with her. And it's changed hands like a bunch of times in terms of it was going to be like a feature film paramount had it for a while and it moved around a lot when paramount had it sarah Pauly wrote the screenplay oh that would have been so good right but it expired i guess right and then after that got shelved indefinitely it got bought by hulu and now it's going to be this eight episode limited series unfortunately the sarah Pauly um screenplay did not make the move to hulu with the title so i'm sad about that Kristen froseth is playing alaska and charlie Plummer will be playing miles the boy who is obsessed with her okay i don't know the girl but i know charlie Plummer, and he is freaking amazing yeah he's really good Kristen froseth she's in sierra burgess is a loser that's what brought her to prominence anyway well medium prominence i suspect looking for alaska will be the thing that uh launches that superstardom totally because it's a it's a john green property it's gonna do well right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's a guarantee (laughs) certain people have guarantees attached to them it's true which is why it's strange that it took so long for this one to come to film but it is a problematic little book if there's one thing i would love in my life it's to get my hands on sarah Pauly's treatment of it because I can't imagine that she would let the female lead remain so underrealized. No. So I would love to see that. Like one day I'm going to get into, after she dies, I'll go into her archive or something and <laughs> dig that out. I really want to know. Yeah. Sarah Polly, if you listen to the podcast and you want to send us. <laughs> yeah, if you ever want to come on and talk to us. We only want to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else. Nothing else. Um, okay, well that... 
I think that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye out, if only because we've seen so few long-form versions of text, like something about a limited series. So it's yes. it's got a fixed end date, but it also yes. has more time to play with and hopefully expand that female character into less problematic territory. Because if there's one thing that cured my desire to see season twos of things, it was 13 Reasons Why. Yeah, and for me it was Riverdale. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. It's gone so far off the rails this season. (laughs) Okay. Um, Do we have time for one more bonus, or should we wrap it up? I think everybody wants to know what your second bonus was, Joe. Okay. So my second bonus is, I have it on the list because it sounds so up my alley, but it's another one of these, we don't have a fixed release date for it yet. So apparently last year, Netflix picked up the rights to adapt The Wicked Deep. Have you heard of this one? I have not. Okay. So this one I knew nothing about, had never heard of it, but it started showing up on all of these, we really hope it comes out this year lists. It's uh, a novel by Shay Earnshaw, and it's about a town haunted each summer by the vengeful return of three sisters, thought to be witches, who were drowned in a nearby bay 200 years ago. So it takes place in the current day, and it's got our heroine Penny, who can see the sisters. So she's got the secret ability to see the three ghosts, but she doesn't tell anybody about it. But apparently the men in town are sort of doomed to be killed by these witches. This appeals to me. Tell me more. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) And of course, the one who's in danger is the guy that she has fallen in love with. So she has to decide whether or not to reveal her abilities and potentially save the man that she's fallen in love with. Or will she stay quiet and save herself? Because, of course, there's the danger that she herself will be accused of witchcraft. That sounds really good because right? here's a thing that is important to know about my my dislike of speculative fiction. I have a huge soft spot for witches. Because witches are great. Because witches are great. Witches are great. So I have this soft spot about witches and like Salem witch trials and I mean from a gender politics perspective, obviously, but also just the sense of like, well, I guess it's still gender politics, but to think about the ways in which fear of women has manifest over the centuries Mm -hmm. never ends well for the women but i am interested in the timeline on this because 200 years ago is like not long enough for the last witch panic so i'm super excited to see what they're doing with time and history and i'm definitely going to keep an eye on this one Yeah. So because this is coming to netflix there's always the possibility that like to all the boys i've loved before it will just randomly appear and we'll be surprised and then able to talk about it. (laughs) So I was looking around and it doesn't, like they don't have a lot of information about casting or who's in charge of it, but hopefully we'll hear something more and maybe this will show up in one of the, the weekly show notes and we'll be able to provide some kind of clarity. Sounds good. I'm looking forward to it. It sounds awesome. And I'm going to go put the book on hold, my hold list right now. Of course you are. (laughs) Because it's New Year's Day and you're in your pajamas and you are trolling the library website. Like, I just need you to know how much that's exactly what my New Year's Day is going to look like. We will have just gotten back to Vancouver from our Christmas holidays and I will be checking in on what the library did while I was away. (laughs) Sounds good. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so I think that about wraps it up for our 2019 forecast. As you suggested, I think we should do 
at least a mid-year check-in, if not something earlier. Yeah, definitely, because there's just so much coming out all the time and keeping on top of all of it is difficult and also super fun. So I'd be totally game for doing this again. And this is a great place to say, check out the hashtag HKHSPod if you want to share something that's coming out in 2019 that you're like, why didn't they talk about the thing that I love? Tell us about it. We're probably too dumb to know about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'd love to actually have a bit more conversation with people about what they're liking, what they're not liking. But yeah, particularly if you've got a good recommendation that you think we should be taking note of, send it our way. We should call it, what should Brenna put on her holds list? (laughs) There we go. All right, folks. Well, I hope everyone's having a happy New Year's Day. Or if you don't celebrate New Year's Day, I hope that you have this day off and that you are enjoying it. All right. So next week, we're taking a turn, hey? I'm terrified. (laughs) So next week, we're not reading a YA book and not by accident, like with warm bodies, but on purpose. Next week, we are reading Nathaniel Hawthorne's American classic, The Scarlet Letter, because we're watching Easy A. Yes. (laughs) So even if I can't handle a book that was published in 1850, at least I can look forward to sweet Emma in her breakout role such a good movie i'm so excited to read it with the source material i have to say that the last time i read the scarlet letter was for my american comprehensive exams in my phd so it's possible that reading this again will be a triggering effect on my mental health but we'll see no ptsd (laughs) seriously okay so until next time i will see you on the page and i'll see you on the screen